Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Marcy Pusey. Uh, Marcy's actually uh, one of our first students at Self-Publishing School. Um, she's the author of multiple books in multiple genres. So um, she's written a memoir, she's written multiple self-help books around adoption and fostering, uh, and she's written, a, written and published a ton of children's books, uh, and that's going to be the focus of this interview. Uh, she's a longtime SPS coach. She's literally coached hundreds of students and completed, we were just calculating this up before the interview, uh, our, by our best guess, a little over 3,000 coaching calls. <laughs> Um, she's also the creator of the SPS Children's Book Program, so um, she works with a lot of children's book authors, uh, and our goal in, uh, in this interview is to really talk children's books. So um, how do you write a children's book? How do you publish a children's book? How do you do it in a way where it's professional? It looks good. Should, should you self-publish? Should you traditionally publish? Like all those things, she's done both. Uh, and, and lessons learned from thousands of calls with SBS students. So our goal is to cover a lot of ground and to help you as much as possible in your journey, uh, but also help you kind of navigate the landmines uh, and avoid the mistakes that she's seen a lot of students make over years of coaching, thousands of coaching calls, uh, all those things. So Marcy, super excited to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's dive straight in. So I, I want to briefly touch on, uh, you know, we'll kind of go three parts. I want to go why, the why behind children's books slash writing of children's books. Then we'll go book production. Then we'll go marketing and launch. So uh, you traditionally published books before joining self-publishing school. How did you find SPS? And why did you decide to, uh, to join SPS years back um, when publishing your first self-published book? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So by the time you launched SPS, I had been seven years in the traditional publishing industry and had been to all of the conferences, all of the workshops, part of the critique groups in the right societies and clubs and just had so little to show for it. And even my traditionally published books were through a really small press that are now sold privately to homeschool communities and curriculum kinds of settings. And so you can't even just buy them. Um, so I was feeling pretty disillusioned. Actually, I, had, I was walking out of a conference where agents had gone over my work anonymously but publicly and really loved it, kept using my book as the example for all the other writers in the room of how to write a quality story and still didn't choose to represent me by the end of the conference. And, and it kind of struck me that it wasn't enough to be a very good writer and have a very good book. There were all these other elements to acquisition that that mattered, but felt a bit deceptive. It, it wasn't just the quality. It was, do they have an emotional connection to your themes or who you are as a person? And I thought, how am I going to find that, those people? And so I feel wired to write. I feel like that's what I was created to do. And then I felt like there were so many roadblocks. Like, had I, was I wrong about who I thought I was? It was a little bit of an existential crisis. And then self-publishing school, I don't know, I came across some ad somewhere through someone's email, I'm sure. And I remember watching the video and thinking, oh, he's good. But I don't write adult, adult nonfiction. I write children's fiction. It's the opposite. And yet I still um, 
fast forward joined <laughs> because I think I just wanted to, it was my last ditch effort. Can I learn how to publish mm. my own stories, get all the other people out of the way and ultimately see, is this like who I thought I was wired to write? Is that really truly who I am and what I should be doing with my life? And so I joined and I thought, well, the school was designed for adult nonfiction. I guess I should write one. And I had never planned on writing one. So I had to make up an idea. So like you mentioned, a foster care and adoption, we had fostered a number of kids, adopted two of those kids. My professional educational background is all therapy and social services. And so I just knew it well, followed the 90 day program, book became a bestseller, just like you said it would, skeptical as I was. And immediately <laughs> I was invited to stages and my, just plot twist, my whole life changed. And so yeah. I think at some point, actually, you might have reminded me like, hey, you did the adult nonfiction. Why don't you try the children's book now? And so I had to figure it out. It was similar, yeah. but different. Um, but I did it. Cool. That's amazing. And that's what we'll talk about. So um, you've obviously done a, a bunch of different types of books. Why children's books? Like, why are you passionate about that? Why, why is this something that's important to you that you feel like is important to the world? I know you've done a TEDx talk and this is some, uh -huh. you know, kind of a concept that you talked about. So why children's books and why do they matter? Yeah. So the, the honest answer to how I fell into writing for children was when I began to pursue professional writing, I knew traditionally that who you knew mattered. And I only knew one person who was publishing and she was publishing in the children's industry. And so I was like, well, I love reading kids books. Uh, maybe I'll love writing them too. And so it was a little bit arbitrary, but again, an indicator of maybe how that industry works um, that I would choose to start there. Now, over the years, that resonated quite a bit with, with me anyway, as I discovered that I do think, per the TED Talk message, which people can go watch, um, it's so powerful. The way like children being able to find themselves reflected in a story impacts them in a neurological level in such powerful and important ways. Um, so I believe in that. I believe in giving kids places where they feel safe and permission and can see themselves reflected. But then as the storyteller, we're often working out our own stuff, even as we're writing for kids. So we know memoir writers are working out their own stuff. Like that's obvious, yeah. but we don't realize that as much for kids. But if I go back to each of my children's books, there's a piece of me that I was addressing in each one. Um, mm. Yeah. So now I see that with different eyes. Like what part of yeah. my own? I don't want to say inner child, but some of it is connected to experiences I had as a kid that I, where I didn't have a book reflected to me. And 100%. now I'm getting to fill that gap. So those are some of the reasons that it, that it matters yeah. to me. That's great. And I love that. I mean, I feel like that's so in line with what we talk about all the time, which is, you know, it's, it's not so much about the book. It's about who you become in the process. Yeah. And I guess I'd never put two and two together from a children's book perspective of like, it's who you are becoming uh, yeah. and, and the things that, you know, you're writing the book to teach, inspire, entertain kids. Uh, but in the process, <laughs> you're learning, you're growing yeah. and you're having to work through um, those things, which I think just drives a lot of personal growth. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to touch on, uh, you know, self-publishing, traditional publishing. I know uh, something that I'm sure you dealt with. And I, I, I know from talking to you that a lot of students or either before they join and sometimes even after they join SPS is like, Hey, am I cheating myself or am I giving up if I choose uh -huh. to self publish my children's book? Like, you know, in our minds, it's like, I'd love, you know, I've got this work in progress or I've written this book and I've pitched it to publishers and I've just got doors slammed in my face. How do you choose kind of between self publishing, traditional publishing specific to children's books 
What are yeah. pros and cons? And then how do you help people get over that mental hurdle if they do decide yeah. to self-publish? Yeah, that's oh, so good. One of my pet peeves, <laughs> I actually saw someone ask this the other day, not in our community, but outside, like, should I publish or should I go do it on my own? And I'm like, ah, they're all publishing. There's not publishing and not publishing. <laughs> all yeah. publishing. It's real. It's legit. But it was such an indicator, I think, of, of the message that's been poured into to writers for generations, right? That the only legitimate way to publish is traditionally. And I think there is a time and space for that. Um, I've been part of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators for over 12 years now. I still go on retreats with a lot of my traditionally publishing friends. I'm connected. I think as an industry, they are very welcoming and family, family oriented with each other. Um, they do a lot of good quality research, uh, encourage quality work. And so I think that's valuable. I stay connected there for that reason. But I, there is now an alternative way to publishing and we have to undo the message that the only legitimate way is, is traditional. I mean, even that language is still a little bit misleading, right? Traditional versus what, like untraditional? So at the end of the day, the reason that I have stopped submitting to agents and editors is because I love the control that I have over my own process. So I can get a book out in three months or less. And my traditionally published friend, it's two to three years after you've been acquired by an acquisition team. So that's that's after the years and years and years of trying to get acquired. Um, so I can be out, I can get all these books out quickly. I have control over the book production, the illustrator who works on it. In the traditional industry, you may not even see your book illustration until the whole world is seeing it. You don't get to give feedback. You don't get to choose your illustrator, that kind of thing. Um, uh, money, I get to control how much money I make and who's getting it. So in, in the traditional industry, it's not like one person is taking a cut, it's a team. The acquisition is, a, is a, a team of people. I've had eight people say, yes, we want the book and one say, I'm not sure. And that was enough to not get acquired, but all nine or 10 of those people would have gotten a cut, right? In some way, plus the agent that you might need. So I, I have some friends who three years after publishing still have not made any money on their books because they're still paying off the $500 advance or whatever the advance was, or who missed loops in the contract and so have never made money because the, the whatever the team created in their own interest created contracts in their own interest that keeps the author from making money i make money on my books like and i get to control how much i love that um the timeline i said my other book promotion is the same either way so some people will say i just want to write and sell the books and have someone else do all the promotion but the traditional industry is really not doing that anymore we have the same amount of promotion so that's not it's not really the reason um and finally um Okay, sorry. Book. Oh, the book is in print. I made notes because I wanted to remember these are important things for me. In the traditional industry, once you're acquired, if you're not selling books at a certain rate, they'll put your book out of print. Like it's no mm, longer available. Yeah. No one buy it. But My still on the rights. Yeah, but they you still can't have publish the rights. it elsewhere. 100%. And we've had so many people come to us from traditional. Um, publishers who, like my friend, don't make money and are trying to now self-publish it or who went through some kind of hybrid experience where they paid a pseudo publisher thousands and thousands of dollars to do the process, but they put it all on Amazon so the people don't even have access to their own Amazon accounts to change anything. So all of those reasons, like I think there could be a time and space, maybe if a traditional publisher came and offered me a, a million dollar advance, I'd consider it. But for the yeah. most part, 
I love the control. I love that my books are always going to be in print, but I get to, I like the control. Yeah, that's great. And so unless you're a household name that gets a massive advance, uh, and then it sounds like it makes more sense to self-publish. It's, it's a matter of, you know, getting over that stigma. No, you're not cheating yourself or giving up by doing that. And we'll talk a little bit later on book production. So how do you make your self-published book not look self-published and, and the importance uh-huh. of that and quality and all that stuff. A couple more questions on kind of the, the, the writing piece. So if, if I thought, hey, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to self-publish my children's book. Now, I know naturally one of the first questions that you get is how do I know if my story idea is any good? What do you say to that and how do you help people through that? Or even, uh, you know, obviously I know uh, my girlfriend Aubrey had multiple ideas. So she was kind of coming to you saying uh, she's going through the children's book program um, to publish her first children's book. Uh, and, and she's saying, hey, how do I know which idea to choose? So how do you work on the getting clear on the idea, know if it, knowing if it's good, which one to pick, things like that? Yeah. You know, there are some industry standards. And again, this goes back to some of the value of the traditional industry in that they're doing market research. What do kids want? What do families want? And so there are some really good standards that we can follow. We also can break out of them, but I think it's important for us to know what they are and why we're breaking out of them when we choose that. So a starting point is an idea good is, is does it have a plot? or a really strong character. So I get a number of authors who write these really sweet books. We even call them quiet books in the industry. And there's a place for them, but they're not generally the biggest sellers. Um, So looking at your idea, like is there a place in there for it to either be a very memorable character-driven story or a story that has a climax and has obstacles and has a character with dreams and goals. And so that's a starting point. Maybe you don't have all that developed yet, but is there place in your idea for that to happen? That's one way. Um, another way is, does it make you feel something? Books that are the, the highest quality cause emotion in the reader in some way. It might be anger. It doesn't always have to be a positive emotion, um, but it might be sadness. It might be joy, but they're feeling something. They're feeling uh, an emotional connection to the character. They're relating. And so is this idea something that you think kids could feel? And one indicator is like, do you feel something? Is this a story that, that you're writing? And it's just like, yeah, I've had a bucket list. I think I can retire writing for kids. Not the reason to write for them. Or, man, this story just really means so much to me and I feel something about it. I want to put it out there. That's another way to know if it's a good idea. And the last one I'll touch on is, do you believe in your own story? Somebody else might say, no, that doesn't sound like a good idea. But if you believe so much in your story and the end result isn't really the publishing of it, but the story itself and getting it into the minds and hands of kids and helping them to grow and develop and see themselves, then that's an indicator that we're starting with a good idea. It can be developed into a good story, but at the very least, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's put our stories out there that we believe in. Mm, yeah, that's so good. And then what if, what if I say, Hey, I've got multiple, multiple ideas and how do I figure out which one to write first? Like, I know that's kind of a, it depends, but how do you, how do you help people navigate that where it's choosing an idea to focus on first, which I guess maybe the thing I'll explain behind this is, you know, we only have two rules when we're working people at self-publishing school. And number one is you can't write more than one book at a time. Try to, ch- try to chase two rabbits, you'll end up catching neither. Uh, and then rule number two, you can't edit while you write. So you need to write the draft and then come back and edit. Yeah. So with that in mind or through that lens, like how do you help people focus on 
which book to write first. Cause I know a lot of children's book authors want to do multiple books, yeah. but you can't do them all at once. So you got to pick one to start. Yeah. I honestly follow your advice still, even for children's books to think about which one can you get done the quickest, uh, makes you feel the most excited about and would be the easiest just to get that first one with the, the most motivation and the easiest learning curve experience. So I might say, let's avoid the really deeply emotional childhood rewrite and focus on the one that's, you know, that you could get out quickly. I start there. Awesome. That's great. And super helpful. Um, so, all right, we're clear on our idea. What's your, what's the 10,000 foot view of your process for writing a good children's book? And then I know like kind of naturally some of the questions that people have often early on is how many words should it be? You know, depending on the genre, the age group, how do you know what age group to write, write for? And so like, what's the process and then how do you get clear on those things? Yeah, there are some really great articles out there. And in our course, we link to some of them that just give all of the specifics by genre. Um, but most of my writers are either writing children's picture books or early reader kind of chapter books. And so a picture book actually needs to be 700 words or less. And that's divided up over 28 scenes of story. It can be, there can be no words. There are wordless picture books. So zero to 700 words. And I would say those early reader chapter books are usually three to 5,000. And kind of the older you go with your audience, the more words that you can have in there, of course. Um, so that's kind of looking down at it. If I'm speaking specifically to picture books, you have those 700 words, but you have an artist who's also joining you and partnering in the storytelling. And so one of the reasons you can have so few words is because their artwork should really be complementing and doing half of the storytelling. Neither one should be able to stand 100% alone. So there's kind of a dance there that happens between the two, which, which I love. And sometimes I write that in. So even as the author, I can say, man, I really want to tell this story through the artwork that's not in the text at all. And I'll use mm, illustrator oh, notes cool. within my manuscript to do that. So a number of my books are a bit layered that way, where there's something happening in the artwork that's maybe never even mentioned in the text. And I had control over the idea. And then I set the illustrator loose to bring that to life with their own skill and creativity. So that's the basic foundational piece. My own process with it is that first I just free write a story. If I have an idea, I, I don't even always outline it because I don't know where it's going. But if I do, if I have a sense of the beginning or middle or, or end, I'll kind of outline it. But really my first process is just get it out. And that's true, I think, for all of our genre, right? Like we do want an outline, but just also tell the story. So for example, one of my books, Baranza's Sweater, bestseller continues to, my bestseller continues to sell the most without any advertising. When I first wrote it, it was 2000 words and it was really traumatizing. It's for a foster adopt family. Um, and so there were police officers and social workers and sirens in the original. It was just, it was bad, but I had to write the 2000 words in order to ever cut it down to the 700 and something that it is now and get it to the book that people love. But people will sometimes read that book and think, how in the world can you write so well? I'm like, well, the first draft sucked. Like it was a rough draft, <laughs> 2000 words. That's the process. Yeah. So I let myself get it out. Then I will break that up into 14 different scenes. So earlier I said, the book is told over 28 scenes of story, but it's easier to break it down first into 14. That plays out like, a double page spread. So that's why the 14. If you want to break it down into the 28, now you're doing individual pages. 
that's great. Eventually I'll do that too. But at first for simplicity, how can I break this chunk of 2,000 words into 14 scenes? And then I go through each of those scenes and say, okay, this cannot be a 500 word scene. I need to cut this down. So how can I say the exact same thing I've said in 500 words in three to four sentences, considering that an artist is going to step in and tell a part of the story. So that's part of my revision process is going through how can I tighten it, strengthen it, get it to a place where finally I've got all of these scenes built out. There's a climax, there's obstacles, all the things are in place and it's the right word count. And that's the unique thing about children's writing too, is because you have so few words, every single word you use has to move the story forward and be powerful. There's no room for, for fluff or filler. So that's part of the process is how can I say this better using fewer words until I've gotten it to the best I can get it. Then it's time for an editor. Like now I need a children's book specific editor to step in and, and help me make sure that this is the best that it can possibly be. That's awesome. This is such, I love that process. And that's, I'm sure for anyone listening or watching this is so helpful uh, and, and kind of giving a framework uh, to follow. And, and I, I love the, cause I think people are intimidated by the word count, right? It's like, oh my gosh, only 700 words. How in the world do I do that? But breaking it down to where you're saying everything that needs to be said, and then you're saying it in, uh, in a, a shorter, more concise way. It kind of reminds me of, uh, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld, who talks, who talks about, uh, you know, he would spend hours trying to remove one word from a joke because the faster ah. and the simpler that you can get to the punchline, the more effective that it'll be. And it's kind of like the, the largely attributed quote to Lincoln, um, which is, you know, if I, I, if I would have had time, I would have written a shorter letter, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of <laughs> like just the, the, the time is what makes it more concise and and more impactful. So you, you touched on children's book specific editor, and I want to kind of use that as a segue into talking about book production. Yeah. Um, you have just amazingly high quality children's books. And I think anyone who looks at those would say, this is a traditionally published children's book, right? Uh -huh. um, but it's yeah. not self-published. And you know, we always talk about your self-published book shouldn't look self-published, right? Uh -huh. It should be indistinguishable. Um, how do you do that? Like how, how do you publish uh, self-published children's book that are such high quality what does the team look like that you need in the book production phase? You obviously already mentioned children's book specific editor, um, but what does that team look like and how do you do it? Yeah, that's good. And I would say that I sometimes have a different approach to this than other people who are starting out in self-publishing because all of my years in the traditional industry set me up to value quality, but also I was transitioning to this approach to publishing at a time where it was not favorably talked about in the traditional industry. And we've come a long way. We're not a hundred percent, but we have come a long way. So there's space for it. But at the time I was like, exactly what you said. I do not want to look self-published. I've got all this community of people that I want to tell that I published a book um, and not be embarrassed by it. So I went into it already with how can I make this look as close to traditionally published as possible for my own reputation. So going into it, that meant hiring an illustrator that could do the work that I wanted to do and not settling. It's easy to want to settle because of finances or because you feel bad for this person. But at the end of the day, it's your name and your actual physical body standing behind this book. And I never want to be standing there feeling embarrassed by it. So I choose illustrators that I think can produce the kind of quality 
that I want. And I know we'll get into that a little bit later, but that's one piece of it. Um, having an editor who's children specific. So another pet peeve of mine is editors who, th who think because they edit, they can do a children's book. I edit for adults and I edit for children. So I know both very well. And I understand why an editor who does more adult work would feel like they can edit for children. So we can't ask the editor to a degree, like how comfortable do you feel? Cause like, yeah, I know how to cross my T's and dot my I's, like I can edit your book. But a children's specific editor is thinking about where the art is gonna fit into the story. So they're looking at your words in the context of an artist coming in. They're looking at the power of each word and it needing to be as concise as possible, which editors of anything else are looking to grow it out. How can we make this more detailed, more, whatever, right? Set the scene, make what, all the things. So it's really, really important that the editor you choose has demonstrable experience editing children's books and has a deep understanding of the differences between editing for children versus editing for adults. So that's the person I want on my team is someone who can do that content look, who understands the place for the artist and also the need to condense the story. And then from there, depending on what your illustrator can do, you'll need a cover designer, a formatter. So I try to find an illustrator who can do all of that for me so I don't have to branch out and have a larger team. But we do have some really great resources of people within our own kind of partnerships who do cover design. So an artist can create art and give that to a designer who's got the marketing and design skill to say, I know what a cover will look like that will attract a buyer who's usually the parent, right? Or the educator or the therapist um, and, and bring that unique skill to it. So those are the main pieces until you're ready to launch your book where you want a whole team of people to come alongside you, support it, review it, spread the word about it. That's great. So it sounds like you've got a, a book production team that consists of an illustrator um, that can produce a high quality book. You've got a children's book specific editor and we talked about why that matters, what's the difference, all that stuff. You've got a cover designer and you've got a formatter. Uh, and if you're more advanced, there might be some overlap with the illustrator cover designer or illustrator formatter, or maybe even all three there. Um, so yeah. I, it looks like you've got maybe a maximum of one, two, three, four people uh, on the team. Uh, and well, I guess depending on if you have multiple edits, things like that. And then a minimum of maybe two people on the book production team. Well, three. Oh, book production team. Yeah, two. Yeah. Cool. And I guess okay. let's do a quick formatter. That might be new language for some people. So that's the person who's going to take all of the artwork that you've had done for you, all of the text that you've written and had edited, and put that into a file that will become a book, a hard book or an ebook. That's great. Now, naturally, one of the questions that um, people ask is like, hey, how much does all this cost? Um, from a publishing perspective. So how much does it cost to publish a children's book? And then also with the caveat of, I mean, I know this probably goes without saying, but I'll say it just in case it doesn't, which is you can spend a whole lot more money doing this. And that's part of the value prop and, and why people work with us is because we save them a ton of money. So there's kind of a difference in knowing what you're doing and not knowing what you're doing. Yeah. So what does that range look like in terms of costs? Yeah. So an editor ranges from about two two, two, two fifty, two, $300, let's say. Um, and often there are a few different edits that go back and forth there. I know within my own editing practice, I even like to see the book as it's heading to print just to make sure that in the transition from the page I edited and getting it into the book that things are all intact because it represents me as an editor. So some editors like to see that too. Um, 
illustration wise, I've never paid more than $500 for an illustrator. And if I can get them to do the cover and the formatting for within that 500, I do. And I have had that happen. So that's pretty unusual because a, a professional illustrator can easily charge 2000 to infinite numbers of thousands of dollars to, to do art. So I look for artists who are mid level quality. Like they're not new to art, but maybe no one's really given them a chance to do a book or they've had a couple of experiences, but they're good artists and they know how to use the programs. So I'll do a little bit of not coaching per se, but like understanding that they're newer to the book production process, but that they've got the quality. So then I can afford the $500 person. I don't want a brand new person who knows nothing. I don't want right, I don't right. do that. So that's been my process, but you literally can spend infinite amounts of money if you want on your illustrator. Um, there's the ISBN, which is a legal aspect of every book that needs to be included to formalize it for sale. And you can look up prices on that, but they average from if you just want one to $125 in the US. There are countries that have different prices or do them for free. Um, and then the more you buy, of course, they're cheaper. So I think I ended up buying 100 and that broke down to five dollars and something per ISBN and I never have to well it will be a while before I need to buy new one so that's, <laughs> that's a cost to consider yeah. so up front for me when I finally did the hundred dollar thing that was what like five five hundred dollars yeah, up front five ninety yeah. mm -hmm. um but yeah there's there's a whole variety of things you can do to to navigate ISBN um cool. I think that's the gist of it. And then someone formatting it if your illustrator can't do that. So right. and that that can average 200 to also like $500. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. Cool. So at a minimum, you're, t you're spending a few hundred bucks. Um, you could spend, like you said, an infinite amount. And then obviously that's one of the things that we have our Rolodex uh, of people that we work with and recommend. And that's a value prop is that saves people a ton of money <laughs> and time finding those people uh, in the process. And so hopefully it's, it's saving money. Um, we've negotiated exclusive discounts um, with those folks and things like that. So it saves people a ton of money in the, in the process outside of that. Cause that's obviously like for people who are students, it's, Hey, check out the Rolodex of people that we recommend outside of that. Um, how do you recommend that people find these folks? So high quality people for the book production team. I love to use upwork.com because I can post a job and I feel like a boss that makes me feel good. So, <laughs> so I go post a job and people apply for it. And I have a very detailed job posting that I use and we share within our course too for people to use. Um, so it's just, the expectations are really, really clear from the front and then people apply. And I love that because for the artists, uh, they're sharing their portfolios with me. They're sharing their connection to my story, whatever. And there's a whole process I take applicants through. Um, editors, I've just been in the industry a while. So I know the people, like it's a small industry. I know their names. I know their faces. We've been around together. So there are people that I know and trust that I recommend within the course. 
you could also look for or, um, editors on Upwork. Some people have used Readsy, but again, it's not enough just to ask them if they feel comfortable with editing for children. I'd want some evidence that they've done it and have a really good sense of, of how that's different. So that's another place. Um, mm. There's also a great, actually she was an SPS student and she's gone on to start this company called getyourbookillustrations.com. And it's a group of illustrators who offer a free call, a free consultation to talk you through what kind of artwork you're looking for, what is your budget, and their goal is to try to help set up authors with artists within their budget for good quality work. So I love that because that just saves some people like, I don't want to go on Upwork and be a boss. Like, I just want someone to say, here's your illustrator and here's what it costs. And so that's a great mm, option for that. That's cool. And you said that's an SBS student that created, created uh, Get Your Book Illustrated. Yeah, yeah. She started nice. with us. Uh-huh. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, so, hey, let's transition into marketing and, and launching and, and, and kind of in the home stretch here. So, yeah. you know, you've gotten clear on an idea. You've said, hey, I'm going to self-publish, not traditional publish. Is my story idea any good? Uh, it, how do I choose which book to write first? What's the writing process? I've gone through that process. I've hired a high quality book production team. Uh, and now I'm ready to market and launch. And I think, you know, a lot of times we find that there's two groups. There's, uh, there's a, a, you know, uh, person A that loves the creation and hates the marketing is terrified by it, doesn't want to do it. <laughs> and then there's the other person who loves the marketing and is just like, all right, cool. I got to get this book done so that I can shout it from the rooftops and market it. Um, so we've got kind of, you know, whoever's listening or, or, uh, or watching this, you might be in one of, uh, one of those two camps. How do you walk people through your students through the marketing process? And in your eyes, like what does success look like? with a good children's book uh, launch. And I know I'm asking like a kind of a bunch of <laughs> questions here, um, but I know that a, a, something that probably a lot of people ask as well is like, can I actually make money with children's book? Like, what does that look like within the context of marketing and the launch? Yeah, that's, that's good. So I tend to be more person A, like I don't want to do the marketing. I want to write and just sell books, but that's not how life works. So I've had to learn. So if that's you, I feel you. I feel you. And if you love marketing, then I envy you. <laughs> but um, I would say with children's books specifically, they, they really sell best word of mouth and by recommendation. It's still one parent telling another or a teacher telling a parent or a therapist telling the whole everybody. Um, so it's really about getting your book in front of people and becoming the recommended book. So in some ways, it's not as simple to market as some as how to where you're selling a painkiller and your audience is in pain, they know who they are and they just go buy it because they want to feel better. It's, it's more, okay, there's so many children's books out there and so many options. So people are hesitant to buy one unless they know it's amazing from the start. So ways to do that are digitally, like being in whatever groups are like being where those people hang out. Are there mom groups, dad groups, grandparent groups, like are there therapist communities where they're looking for books they can use in their work with kids, educator groups, like just be wherever those people are, whatever social media platform they hang out on and become the recommended book for those people. It's, it's a marathon, right? Like some people think I'm going to publish that one hit wonder and then I'm going to retire. But the reality is like any fiction, especially, I mean, this is probably true for all the genres, but especially within the fiction world, like the more you're writing and publishing, the more you're developing a community of people who really love you and are recommending you and are buying your books every time you publish them. So that's another piece is to consider not just writing one book, but to continue writing for that audience. Um, in real life, when 
when real life can happen again in the way we're used to, the school visits, and you can do these on Zoom. So there's, there's lots of ways you can still do kind of real life things online, but doing school visits and assemblies is one of my favorite things. You should charge for the visit because it's your time. So that can be $500 an assembly um, just to show up and do whatever, speaking to the kids for half. So I'll, example, one day I showed up for 30 minutes. I did an assembly for three to 400 kids. I read two of my books to them. I taught briefly on a topic that I know reinforces what the teachers were teaching. So I went through like, how do you write and publish a book? Kid-friendly. I talked a lot about revision because they're all writing in class and being told they have to revise. And so to reinforce that for teachers, they love. So how can I share my books, reinforce what is educational for the teachers in 30 minutes, make $500, sell books while I'm doing it on top of that. Plus then the kids and the teachers and the parents get to know you in a sense because they're watching you, they feel familiar. They're going to have a different connection to you when they're recommending you. So live and digital, being in the places. So maybe that's a podcast. Maybe it's um, doing interviews on people's live video options, wherever you are. That's the main way to do it. Ads, I because it's not that recommendation. It's just a pop up somewhere and people say, don't really say that, trust Say that again. You said ads. Uh, you, you broke up just a little bit. You were saying ads you recommend, don't recommend? I, do, I don't find them to be as effective with children's books. Even my best-selling children's book was just eating up ad money. When I turned the ads off, it continued to sell at the same rate without the mm. help of the ad. And I was now not spending money on it. So um, yeah, because I think people, parents, people who buy children's books are, an ad is pretty generic. It's not someone yeah. they trust recommending it. That's great. And I, I want to circle back. You mentioned speaking and publicity and podcasts and all that. And so I want to circle back in a little bit and talk about using those things to sell more children's books um, and, and kind of children's book specific. Before we get to that, in your mind, what are the keys, like top three to five or so things, um, kind of keys or things that you do or recommend for students to have a successful children's book launch? Uh-huh. Um... Well, the investment in the quality of your book, number one. I see people try to do their own artwork when they, when they shouldn't. I've seen people do their own artwork when they should. Um, <laughs> I see people rhyming when they shouldn't because it's not working. So just really investing in the quality of it and letting go maybe even of some of your own invested interest in some aspects to make it a better quality book. So number one, um, having... Uh, taking the launch seriously. So you get a lot of people like type the, the A people kind of like me who, okay, I wrote it. I'm going to put it out there. It's just going to do well. And then I don't have to do anything, but no, really looking at your launch week and setting up events each day of that week to put your book out in front of the, the audience, the world, so that you can become the recommended book, really taking that seriously. And then thirdly, like bringing around you the team of people who are going to support you as you do that, who it takes five minutes for them to read your book and leave an honest review of it and then share that review on their own social media platforms, being the recommended source, putting your book in front of their audience. That's great. And love, love the concept of a launch team, which is obviously something that we recommend no matter what your, your genre is. Mm -hmm. um, okay. A few more things on, on marketing. Why, why do you think it was Speranza Sweater uh, that you said is your, is your best yeah. selling book? Like, why do you think that book has, has sold so well and, and better than other books that you have and any takeaways that you would bubble out of that 
um, for children's book authors? Yeah, I think it's twofold. One, it's pretty niched. Um, I wrote a book that, that didn't exist out there for the foster adopt community. And so when, you, when I talked earlier about a good idea being something that kids can resonate with, there wasn't a lot for them to resonate with. So I put one out there from my own experience. So that, that was one piece of it. Foster and adopt families are like, this fills a gap. But secondly, I've written two adult nonfiction books for the foster adopt community. One is a perennial bestseller, like it just continues to be a bestseller because it, they also struck a chord. And because my audience are families, foster and adopt are always a family unit, they might find the adult book and say, oh, she's also written one for kids or find the kid one and go, oh, she's oh, also cool. One for yeah. So yeah. the three sell each other really well. Whereas my other books are all really disconnected from that audience. Oh, that's interesting. So niche audience. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if you do write uh, multiple types of books, how that can be, how that can supplement sales. Okay. So you're writing for the adult. And, and I saw, you know, obviously Ruth Sukup has been on the podcast as well. Um, I feel like she did this really well. My buddy Todd Herman's done this recently, um, which is you have the big self-help, uh, more traditional book. Uh, and then you uh, turn that into a children's book. And so that mm -hmm. the person who reads it can, th can then go on to um, buy a book for their kids to communicate that same concept. Yeah. I know uh, with Todd Herman, I know he worked with a past self-publishing school student to get the children's book of his alter ego effect. Uh, and then with um, Ruth Sukup, I know it was Do It Scared was the, the traditionally published book and TEDx talk and all that stuff. And then How Big Is Your Brave was the children's wow. book which I just thought, you know, um, just a really great concept of using those two things. And I'd say a big takeaway for folks is, and I'm sure you talk with, with our children's book students about this all the time, is people are afraid to go super, super, super specific. But yep. in your instance, by doing that, it has helped sales because people know exactly um, whether or not it's for them, uh, which I think is, is really helpful. You, you mentioned kind of this concept that I wanted to touch on, which is, you know, adults and kids. Uh, and I think that's something that's unique about children's books is you kind of have two different audiences. Uh -huh. You have the audience of the, the, the parent who's going to buy the book and read the book to their kid. Yeah. And then the kid who's kind of the end user or end reader. Yeah. So in marketing, you have two different avatars, which I think uh, can, can be confusing and, and introduce complexity and make this difficult. So how do you navigate that? Yeah. So it is the hardest type of literature to write because you are trying to appeal to all of humanity in that regard, <laughs> the, the wallet, and then the kid who's begging the wallet yeah. to buy the book. So mm. I focus on the kid visually with the book itself. So the cover, um, the author bio, authors are always overthinking the author bio. I'm like, they don't care. They just want to know, do you have kids? Do you have pets? And what's your favorite pizza topping? They don't care about your credibility. They don't care any of it. Like, so I usually focus it on that, on those kinds of things. And I might add one line for the purchaser, like, and I'm a therapist. So I've worked with kids in that capacity and my books are probably good. Right. Like, <laughs> but really I'm focusing on the kid, the picture I use. Some people will have their, their illustrator illustrate their picture. I think that's so much fun because it's, it's the kid we're trying to appeal to at the front end. Then I would say it's probably more on Amazon or in bookstores where the blurb on the back or the blurb on Amazon is more focused on that adult purchaser because they're the one right there with the buy now button. So now I'm talking more about the benefits of the book, how it can be used to support the child in any particular way. Um, Speranza Sweater has a note 
from the author on how to use the book for the adult or the clinician or the educator who's using it. So there's little pieces that I include for them in the places where I know they're going to be the ones seeing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. And I think this, I'm sure this is something you recommend as well, which is buy and look at children's books. Uh (laughs) And I know I've seen you do this with Aubrey as she's going through the processes Uh Um, she was looking at uh, the is a, a genre close to her Geronimo. book. It was the yeah Geronimo Stilton the mouse mm-hmm. book, uh, uh-huh. and then uh, and then even uh, I was we were looking at how big is your brave with the Rusuka because she sent me a copy of that. I'm like okay, we've got to look at this through different eyes now, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it's how did they do the bio? What does the picture yeah. look like? What does the formatting look like? What's the call to action if there is one? like different things like that. And also looking, and I think this is super important because naturally the, the critic in you comes out uh, and so you're like, oh, here's all the way this, this book sucks. Uh, yeah. And it's important to say, here are the things that I can take away from what they did yes. <laughs> um, because yeah. it's obviously working and, and you're not looking at this to critique their work. You're looking at it to learn for your, yeah. for, for yeah. your book, um, which I think yeah. is super important. Um, oh my gosh, we could, we could talk forever. I, I want to go five, five or so more minutes and one quick marketing question, and then I want to talk publicity and speaking, uh, and, and uh, then we'll kind of uh, bring this home. But question I get all the time, lead magnet for children's books. Uh, and obviously, we rec- you know, how do you turn a, a buyer or a reader or whatever into a subscriber? And so lead magnet is something that um, escalates that relationship and helps you build a platform, audience, email list, all that good stuff. And so something we highly recommend in no matter the genre, but people are always asking like, what works for children's books? What have you seen work? Ah, it's a good question. It really depends on the person and their end goal. So I do get a number of writers who are just older and have always wanted to write and haven't. So it's a little more bucket list and they're not as much interested in anything but publishing their books. And so I don't spend a lot of time with them worrying about it because <laughs> there's enough to learn. Um, but there are a number of people like, no, I want to make this my career or I really, really just want to spend my life investing in kids. And there's a number of things you can do. So some people have used coloring pages. So had their illustrator give some, you know, uncolored sketches of the pages that can be given away. It might be a YouTube video of the author reading the book. Some people will give curriculum to a teacher that can go. So I've got a number of educators who write books. And so they have a real good sense of what would be supportive in the classroom and can write accompanying um, yeah, curriculum. Um, notes or activities for parents that they can do with the kid with the book. I put some of that kind of thing in my book under fun facts or that, that, because my lead magnet too is more, um, what is it? It's less how to keep them as the reader connected and more how can I support, support writers who also want to write to do it. So they'll come to me through that lens. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, you're writing for children. I want to also, so I'm going to follow you. Um, readers though often find me through my website and will, will write to me that way and will stay connected. So there's a variety of things just sort of depending on the end result and the skills that person brings and what they want to do. It might be the author visit approach where I want to go speak and I want to be in the classroom and I want to be in the library and the bookstore and all those places. And so they're going to have a different, a different approach. Does that? Cool. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, And also when a good resource for people is um, check out the uh, podcast interview or YouTube, Uh, it's on the YouTube channel as well as on the self-published school podcast um, with Rami Vance, aka Ari Vance, who's our fiction coach. And we talked about this specifically as well in that interview, which is lead magnets for fiction books 
and for children's books and what are the differences. Um, so you'll get some good tips there. I, I, I want to just touch on briefly, you talked about this, um, publicity, PR, speaking, things like that. And I know obviously we have our PR and speaking for authors program. And so that's something we, we talk about a decent amount. How does that apply to children's book authors? You mentioned about going to read your book. Uh, you know, you can make, you know, 500 bucks, you said for a, a visit and also sell books. Um, yeah. You mentioned podcasts being important. How do you see those things tying in not only to the launch of the book, but also the long-term success uh, of the book and kind of ongoing promotion and, uh, and, 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 you know, uh, helping the book grow in yeah. some more. Yeah. For the author who does want this to be a career or to be lucrative financially, they have to happen together because if you're ever going to be the recommended book, then you have to make to a degree an emotional connection with the adult and with the child. And the way to do that is through the connection piece. So it's again, the ad not as effective because there's no emotional connection. You're just this generic book out of millions being, you know, paid to show up in my newsfeed. So showing up in those places, the school visits I've been on, teachers got to see me, hear me, know me, see me interact with kids they love, which creates a bond, right? Like anyone who sees someone loving their child, whether it's, you know, their own physical child or a student or a client, whatever, creates an, a, a connection there. So you have to be in front of people whether it's live or digitally. And I'm saying that a little bit cringing because I'm an introvert and I know a lot of writers are and they're like, the last thing I wanna do after I write a book is have to go speak in public anywhere. Um, but, I, but I think especially as a debut author or a newer author where your name isn't just known yet, that is your fastest way to being known and building the connections that will lead your book to being recommended. That's amazing. Uh, anything else you've seen work? And I know that like that's some good tips for introverts, but anything else that you've seen work uh, around publicity or speaking to, to, especially if it's like, okay, I launched and it did okay, but like now I've really got to get this thing going. And like, how do I build traction month over month? Anything else that you've seen work there? Yeah. You know, just paying attention even to the local holidays, community events, um, local like the Boys and Girls Club or, or your Barnes and Noble, like they will do book readings. They've got a cute kid section where you might find me if I'm ever in a Barnes and Noble, just saying. Um, so not just being limited to, okay, where, where is the mom and kid play group hanging out? But is this the week of national adoption awareness, right? Which obviously applies to my books. Um, is it, is it, disability awareness and you've got a person with disability in your story. Is there a marathon happening nearby and your book is on health and fitness? Like go be a booth at the marathon. So just thinking about places that you can show up and again, be, be visible, not through just an ad on a website. Cause those I'm finding are not as effective, but, but really being able to show up to build the connection piece so that, that you're recommended. And to your point, like that's the PR and speaking, the better you are at presenting yourself and, and showing up with confidence in your story and why it matters and why these kids need it is going to be another piece of why they choose to buy your book versus like you mumble, fumble, don't look them in the face, don't know how to put sentences together because it's scary. You know, that's going to present a really different image when they're talking to yeah. you. So you want to yeah. invest in that skill. And that's so great. And it's almost like those publicity and speaking opportunities in some ways are practice for, yeah. for getting better at promoting your book. And uh -huh. so uh, embracing them as such and not feeling intimidated or uh -huh. all those things, I think is super important. 
Um, all right, so uh, this has been amazing, Marcy. And then we got a couple of things that we want to touch on as we close here. Um, my, my kind of final question, if you will, is what you know, what you know now, coach thousands of, or not thousands, you've been, you've done thousands of coaching calls with hundreds of uh, self-publishing school students, uh, like knowing what you know now, what is, what's your advice for the person who's thinking about writing their first children's book, or maybe they're a new self-publishing school student and they're listening or watching to this in prep for their first call um, with you or one of our children's book coaches, uh, like yeah. what's your advice there? Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is truly my advice. It also sounds like a shameless plug. It might be, but my TEDx talk talks about the neurological value of story when we put it out there for kids, what it does in the kids and what it does for us. And I think as a starting point, if you understand how important it is, that's going to give you a different fire to keep pursuing it when it feels hard. And so I don't want to repeat it all. I just want to send you to go watch it. Um, secondly, being so mindful of the self-talk and the messages. I had a student even just yesterday or two days ago who was so much like, I, she's about to publish and I just don't know if people are going to like it. And I don't, maybe I shouldn't have written it. And maybe, and I said, no, you've got to show up with confidence. Like you believe in the story. It matters to you. It's a good story. You have to show up with that. And I will often say like, if you can't believe in it right now, I do. So borrow my belief because I've got enough and I borrowed your belief Chandler when I joined, I didn't have enough for myself. And I saw all of the things unfold because I borrowed borrowed yours. So, so being aware of your own mindset, the messages that you're hearing, and then being intentional um, to walk yourself through those to truth, to what's true. I believe in the story. It matters. I want it to be in the hands of kids and therefore I'm going to pursue this. That's so amazing. Awesome. Well, Hey guys, and we're in closing here. Um, two things. So if, if, if you said, Hey, this has been really helpful and I want to learn more, uh, Marcy has done uh, has got an amazing um, webinar that we did together. And by we did together, I mean, I introduced her and then she taught uh, for 45, 55 minutes. Um, it's, it's awesome. Highly recommend that you check it out as the next step. Uh, you can find and register for that webinar. Go to self-publishingschool.com forward slash kids. That's self-publishingschool.com forward slash kids. You can watch the webinar, learn more. This is going to build on some concepts uh, we talked about in this uh, podcast interview. Secondly, if you've listened to this and you said, hey, I don't need to hear anymore. Like, I want to work with you guys as part of the Children's Book Program. Uh, then all you have to do is book a call with the team and, and you can chat about what that would look like. Uh, we've got specific information. It's on self-publishingschool.com forward slash children. Okay. Self-publishingschool.com forward slash children. Go there, book a call uh, with the team. And, you know, as Marcy said, this, this might be that intimidating first step <laughs> where you're listening to this, you're like, I, I might even need to borrow some of your guys's belief. Um, do that. Um, but in order to be able to do that, um, you got to book a call with the team and, and chat um, with the team and, and we'll see how we can help. Now, so those are the two best places to go. Now, I want to talk briefly. Um, we're going to be partnering uh, with, we're rebuilding a lot of the children's book material. And um, as part of that, we're going to partner um, with an organization called Start a Library. Uh, and, uh, and, and in building a library uh, in a third world country um, to support education and learning for kids. Uh, and uh, the first 100 people um, to join the children's book course over the next couple months, couple weeks, few months, year, <laughs> um, whatever that looks like, will be a founding member in actually, you know, creating and funding that library. So can you give, uh, you know, like maybe a, a 30 to 60 second overview of what is that organization uh, and why is it important and what are they doing? 
Yeah, so Start a Library is based in Kenya. It's run by Kenyans, which I love. Their goal is to have 500 libraries planted in Kenya by 2022. They have 195 now, and they're not just planting libraries. They're, they're doing community development and library partnership. And so they go into a school, backing up. Every school in Kenya has a reading time in the, the school calendar, in the day, but most of the schools don't have books to read. So they skip right over that time, but it's built in. So they're going in and saying, let's put shelves in all of these classrooms. Let's put 1200 books in each school, giving them this library so they can fill it. And that literacy and, and just cognitive development. And then they're training teachers how to orally tell the story so it's engaging for kids who can't read yet. Like, it's just so amazing. And 100% of all of the profit goes to buying the books and putting them in there. They are also a publishing company. And so they raise their own profits go to all of the other things, training the teachers, showing up every three months to check on it, see how the kids are doing. Are they actually utilizing the books? Are the families buying in? They eventually have the parents donate to have their own personal investment. It's just more than 60 seconds. I really love what they do. That's amazing. And we're, and we're very excited about this. So um, basically uh, what we're going to do is over the next, however long it takes to get to our first hundred founding members of the children's book um, program, uh, your first your first 100, you will be one of the 100 people um, that literally help uh, build this library in Kenya. Uh, it's really exciting. So if you're interested in uh, signing up for the Children's Book Program and being one of those uh, first 100 founding members, go to self-publishingschool.com forward slash children uh, and uh, book a call with the team and let's chat. Marcy, this has been amazing. Uh, so, so, so helpful. Um, kind of in closing here, where can people go to find out more uh, about you and your books uh, and especially check out your children's books? Yeah. So there's two places. MarcyPusey.com is one place. Um, that's a little more oriented to some of my work with foster adopt things, but it's easy to find. The other one we'll have to just put somewhere, but it's Miramare Ponte Press. M-I-R-A-M-A-R-E-P-O-N-T-E press.com and that's where all of my sort of my children's world is housed that's awesome marcy thank you so much you're doing amazing work um just in the children's book world as a whole with all of our students behind the scenes with the curriculum uh, it's really inspiring and it's amazing the impact that you're having so thank you so much uh, and this is an amazing interview uh, thank you Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you can be listening to, YouTube channels that you can be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode. All right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important, uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right. Reviews are super important and help the podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to self 
Facebook.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step. So how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.